This is our reading for tonight. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Well, good evening, everyone. Can I just add my welcome to this service? My name is Tim. Uh, I work here, and um, I wonder if you've ever heard this one. After a long and very boring sermon, the church members were filing out of the church, saying nothing to the preacher. And towards the end of the line was a very thoughtful person who always commented on the sermons to the pastor. And they said this, they said, Pastor, today your sermon reminded me of the peace and the love of God. The pastor was thrilled. No one has ever said anything like that about my preaching before. Please, tell me why. Well, they said, your sermon reminded me of the peace of God because it passed all understanding. And the love of God because it endured forever. So bad it's good, eh? Yeah? Hopefully that's not going to be this sermon. Now, sometimes sermons will reveal something to us. Sometimes God will speak to us something new. And sometimes we'll hear something and it will be a reminder. And I wonder if tonight will be that kind of sermon for many of us. Because two weeks together, this week and next, as you might be able to tell from the passage we've just had, we're going to remind ourselves about the most fundamental truths of what it is to follow Jesus. We're going to ask this question together. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? We're going to remind ourselves. And we're coming to a letter, a book of the Bible that is full of reminders. It's written by Paul, and he's reminding Titus, who the letter's addressed to. The basics, all about church planting. That's what Titus is. He's a church planter. And Paul's reminding him about things he's told him before, about how to set up new churches, who to appoint, how people should behave towards one another. And as he does that, he reminds him of the basics of the gospel. He reminds him of the good news of Jesus Christ. When he comes to um, chapter 3 that we've just had read by me, saying that's what's in my notes, assuming someone else is going to write it. When we come to chapter 3 that I've just read, we see this beautiful reminder of God's salvation. He says this twice in chapter 3. He says, God saved us. He says, God saved us. It's an amazing affirmation. And tonight, I think, and I want to do this, I want to remind us of what God's done. But just as I was in worship, I sense God also just wants to minister to us tonight. He's been ministering to us already. And I think he wants to do that and keep doing that tonight as we consider this. And over these two weeks, we're going to see six things. We're just going to go through this verse by verse. And we're going to see six ingredients, if you like. What makes up salvation? What does it mean to be saved by God? And this week, we're going to do three of them. We're going to see our great need for salvation. We're going to see the source of our salvation, where it comes from. And we're going to see the basis of our salvation, as in what it's all built on. What's the foundation? So our need, our source, and the basis. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. God, thank you that you remind us. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you've already been at work tonight. And we pray that you would continue. God, speak to us, we pray. Remind us of the amazing love you have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the first thing we see here is our great need for salvation, as in why we all need to be saved by God. And Paul writes that this is towards the start of chapter 3, and it's not a complimentary picture. He writes this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, 
deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And to this, we might want to say, no, 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 Paul, tell us what you really think. Because he doesn't hold back, does he? And to describe what we're like, he uses four couplets to describe us all. And this is all in verse 3. He says, firstly, we are foolish and disobedient. As in, we've chosen to go our own way and we've rejected God. But then also we are deceived and enslaved. Deceived and enslaved, he says, by our passions and our pleasures. So the things we do actually somehow trick us, have a hold on us. They deceive us. And then he uses two more couplets. He says, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And here we see the destructive power of sin to corrupt our relationships, especially with other people. He says, we envied one another. He says, we lived in malice, which is all about harming other people. He says, we were hated because of how we acted, and we hated other people. And to this, we might want to say, of ourselves especially, you know, no, no, look, I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, there are shades of gray in my life, but I'm not that bad. That description of malice, envy, and hatred, I mean, that's too much. I can think of other people who are like that, but it doesn't apply to me. But how many of us can really say we've never sinned against someone else? We've never had to do something. We've never had to ask forgiveness for something that we have done to someone else. We've never had to ask God for forgiveness or ask someone else for forgiveness where we've been in the wrong in our relationship with them. And also, let's acknowledge how hard it can be to admit that we are in the wrong. How hard it can be to humble ourselves and come before God like that. Or just generally. Here are some genuine statements that people made on their insurance claims forms when they caused an accident. Okay, so they're responsible for a motor accident in their car. Genuine things that people wrote. Somebody said this, the pedestrian had no idea which way to go, so I ran him over. I was driving along the motorway when the police pulled me over onto the hard shoulder. Unfortunately, I was in the middle lane and there was another car in the way. Going to work at 7 a.m. this morning, I drove out of my car straight into a bus. The bus was five minutes early. Here's another one. It applies especially to millennials decorating their flats in Clapham. I had been shopping for houseplants all day and was on my way home. As I reached an intersection, a hedge sprang up and obscuring my vision, and I did not see the other car. Here's another one. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. It can be hard to admit we're wrong, and even give, we can even give ridiculous excuses about that. But what we see from our passage that we all really needed saving. And no matter how many excuses we might have, we all needed the salvation of God. Paul puts it like this to Titus. He says, at one time, we too were like this, as in foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. Now, he isn't just talking about himself and Titus, as in you and me, buddy, we were like this. He's talking about everybody before they meet God. Christians are no better than anyone else because everybody's in the same boat. Compared to the glory of God, we have all fallen short. We all needed saving. And what really shows us this here is that sin isn't just something we do, but something that we're enslaved to, something that has a power over us. Jesus said this when he said, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. But it's also right here. So again, it's in verse 3. We see that before we meet Jesus, we are both foolish and disobedient, but also deceived and enslaved. And I wonder if you can see the difference. 
foolish and disobedient, as in we have done things, as an active sense to it. We have done things. But also, there's the more passive sense of something that has happened to us or something that has a control over us as we are deceived and enslaved. Sin is both something we're responsible for and something that has control over us. It's not just that we're disobedient, but actually the things we do have a hold over us. Anyone who sins, says Jesus, is a slave to sin. Have you ever thought to yourself, I just can't kick that bad habit? I just can't seem to move on from it. I just can't seem to change my ways, even though I really want to. I wonder if you've ever heard the lie of the enemy that says, and you'll never change, because that's just who you are. Because it doesn't just say that we're enslaved to what we do, that the things we do somehow control us, but actually we are deceived. And that is surely a reference to the great deceiver, the enemy, the devil, who would lie to us and say, you'll never change. That's who you are. Sin isn't just something we do, but something we're enslaved to and deceived by. We need saving because we cannot help ourselves. Not only do we need to ask for forgiveness, but we need, it's like we need to be sprung from the prison that we've put ourselves in. We needed saving because we were totally helpless to save ourselves. We could not save ourselves. Often people will admit they're perfect and need some help. But we all needed more than just a helping hand. We needed a complete rescue. Now some of us, we might think, oh, Tim, this is fairly negative tack to my Sunday evening. I was here for some encouragement. Well, Tim Chester, he's a, a commentator and a preacher. He writes this. He says, we must plumb the depths of our own hearts before we can grasp the heights of God's heart for us. We must plumb the depths of our own hearts before we can grasp the heights of God's heart for us. To see God's great salvation, we must see first our great need. Now, the wonderful truth is that when you do give your life to God, we leave our old life behind. What do you notice about Paul's writing in verse 3? He says, we too were like this, past tense, Something has changed. That is in the past. And now I don't just want to talk about our need for salvation, what we've seen, but I also want to talk about the source of our salvation. Because where does that change come from? If he can talk about it in the past tense, where does the change come from? Where does our salvation come from? Well, we see in verse 4 that Paul moves from our great need to God's great provision. Even though we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, even though we lived in malice, Verse 4, just listen to this. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Isn't that awesome? When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Where does salvation come from? God. He's the source of it. He's the source of our salvation. He's our Savior. Do you notice it says, God, our Savior, saved us. He's the one from whom our hope comes from and our help comes from. And to describe this, Paul uses the word appeared, as in the salvation of God, the kindness and love of God appeared. And that's the Greek word epiphany or epiphany. I don't speak Greek, so I don't know how you pronounce it. But as you can probably tell, that's where we get our word epiphany from. 
And people use the word epiphany when they talk about having, you know, a bright idea, a bright spark. And the Greek word carries a sense of a light being shone into the darkness, a light from the heavens. I love it. Jesus is God's bright idea. He is the light in the darkness. God's kindness and his love have always been there. That is who God is. But in Jesus, they are made visible. They appeared in him. They appeared at his arriving at Christmas time, which we'll celebrate in just a few months. Get excited for it, people. And that appears in our life when we give ourselves to him. His kindness and his love appears to us. God came for us in Jesus. Jesus is the source of our salvation. And to describe this salvation, Paul uses four words. Kindness, love, mercy, and grace. Kindness and love, verse four. Mercy, verse five, and grace, just after our reading in verse seven. And it really struck me that four phrases are used to describe our need and four words are used to describe God's salvation. You can put them together a bit like this. It's going to come up on a slide. So even though we're foolish and disobedient, God has shown us his kindness. Even though we're foolish and disobedient, God has shown us his kindness. I love that that word is used of the Lord. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, says Romans. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, using exactly the same word, that God is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. That's Luke 6. In our great need, God shows his kindness. But also, even though we're hated, even though we were hated and hating one another, God has shown his love. The Greek word there is philanthropia, his love for us. Even though we are deceived and enslaved, God shows his mercy to the helpless who cannot help themselves. And even though we lived in malice and envy, God has shown his grace to the guilty and the undeserving. And I wanted to put it on a screen like this to show you that every area of our need has been met by the salvation of God. You could change these all around. You could say that, yeah, we're hated and hating, but God's shown his grace. Or we've deceived and enslaved, and God has shown his kindness. Every area of our need and lostness has been met by Jesus Christ. His salvation covers every area of our life. God's provision is amazing. Even though we're totally going our own way, walking our own way and lost in it and unable to help ourselves, God meets every area of that, every area of our need with his kindness, with his love, with his mercy and with his grace. God is the source of our salvation. He saved us, says Paul. He intervened. He took the initiative. He came after us in Jesus Christ. He rescued us from our hopeless predicament. And if you're hearing this for the first time today, I want to encourage you to give your life wholeheartedly to God. Even though we come with nothing to give him, he gives us everything. Say sorry for your sin and give your life to him. But for many of us, this will be that reminder. It will be a reminder. We've heard it so many times before. But I think we need to hear it again and again and again and again, we need to hear again our great need for salvation. And we need to see again our God's great provision for us. But this also shows us one more thing. This shows us the thing that our salvation rests upon. The ground of our salvation, if you like. The foundation of it. The basis of it. Paul writes this in verse 4 and 5. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. 
God saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. God doesn't save us. We don't get to come to him because of the good things we do. His mercy is shown for us. And that's shown most clearly as Jesus died for us on the cross in our place. And even for many of us, even though we know this, we can fall into the trap of thinking that getting right with God is all about us developing a good record and giving it to him. Building up that record of good works and saying, God, here it is, accept me. Where the gospel is the total opposite. The gospel is that God develops a good record and gives it to us through Jesus when we trust in him. That is the foundation of our salvation. It is the very mercy of God for us in every area of our lives as we trust in Jesus Christ and not in ourselves to be saved. And as I say, some of us need to hear that for the first time and some of us need to hear that for the hundredth or thousandth time. Now I owe this section of my sermon to Eleanor Smith who was writing online. But as many of you know and will be very excited about, Adele has just released the first single to her new album. That's Adele's album cover on the left, and that's Adele on the right. I'm sure you'll all know who she is. She's phenomenally successful. Um, turns out that she is the best-selling album of the 21st century. Um, well called, it's called 21. And she's just released a new single from this album, which is going to be called 30. And at the time of me checking this, it's only been out a week, but it's had over 200 million plays already. You might know it already, it's called Easy On Me, her first single, Easy On Me. Now it's really interesting, some people are calling Adele's new album her divorce album. <laughs> they're, calling it <laughs> they're calling it her divorce album because of what she writes about and the subject matter. And... Adele described it like this. She did an interview with Vogue, and she was talking about her relationship with her son. And she said, this album is a means to explain something to her son. She said, it's a means to explain to her son who I am and why I voluntarily chose to dismantle his entire life in the pursuit of my own happiness. And when you hear that, you realize that the title, Easy On Me, and that first song that she's just released, it's kind of like a musical self-justification. Go easy on me. Go easy on me, despite the things I've done. And she explains why. In one of the lyrics, she describes how she felt trapped. She says, there ain't no room for things to change when we're both so deeply stuck in our ways. Another lyric is this. I had no time to choose what I chose to do. And this is Adele's other description of this album. She says, I feel like this album is self-destruction, then self-reflection, and then sort of self-redemption. I feel like this album is self-destruction, then self-reflection, and then sort of self-redemption. Now, those first two, I think, are profoundly relatable. Self-destruction and self-reflection. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. That's exactly what our passage shows us. We have a bent towards self-destruction. But through self-reflection, we've got to see that self-redemption is not the way. Self-redemption is not the answer. Saving ourselves is not the solution to our great need before the Lord. Instead, we've got to acknowledge through self-reflection that we have such a great need for God that we need Him to rescue us, and that we certainly couldn't do that through righteous things, through our good works. 
And I don't mention Adele's story in this album to call her out in any way. But just to say, I think a lot of us might be in that place. I think it's very, very relatable. She says, go easy on me. I was trapped. She talks about, in the song, she talks about being a young person. And that's why she says, I didn't have time to choose the things that I chose to do. And many of us might end up in that place in our life with regret for what we've done, aware of our own weakness and brokenness. But I want to encourage us to not respond like she has done, but to turn again and again and again and again to the mercy of God. And say, God, yeah, go easy on me, but don't go easy on me because of what I've done, but go on me easy on me because of Jesus. You see, on the cross, God didn't go easy on Jesus. He poured out his wrath on him, his judgment on him, so that he might pour out his mercy on us. Jesus died in our place so that God might go easy on us as we turn to him in faith and repentance. And what I want to ask you today is, is this good news the sort of source of your life and hope and love at the moment? Is this the good news that you're living by? I described earlier that the, the word that is used is appear. It's like the light shining in the darkness. And God shone his light in the darkness that Jesus came. He shines the light in our darkness when we give our life to him. But God again and again will shine his light into our hearts just to reveal where we're really at. I wonder what God is revealing in you tonight. For some of us, we might have just slipped again into a kind of self-reliance. For some of us, we might just have slipped again into that place of, even though we know it in our head, in our heart, we kind of think our right standing with God is based on our performance. And we're just really full of shame because we've mucked up again. Maybe some of us, we've taken the grace of God too far. And we sort of think, well, I can, you know, if I do this, I can, maybe I can just ask for forgiveness. Yeah, we, we're not saved by what we do, but we're called to good works. What's God revealing in your heart tonight? Maybe for some of you, you just need to hear the invitation of God again to you. It's like we sang in that song. It's from Isaiah 55. Come, all who are thirsty. Come, all who are thirsty. I think there are those of us here tonight who just need to come to the Lord again and say, God, I need you. God, I need you. I needed you when I first met you, and I need you tonight. Well, the wonderful response of the Lord is this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of any righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Amen to that? Amen. Let's stand, shall we? Let's stand. And now the band are going to join me on stage, and um, some people are going to be at the front to pray on my left and on my right. And I want to encourage us. We're going to respond in song tonight, and I want to encourage you to respond just in thanks to God, saying, God, thank you as we sing to him, as we worship. But also, I want to encourage you, for those who would love to receive from God tonight, we'd love to pray for you. And we're going to have some people at the front, as I say, who would love to pray. So I want to encourage you, wherever you are, just to be bold and just to 
push out past people in your pew. I know pews aren't ideal for this sort of thing. But especially for those of you who are like, yeah, I need God. And that could be for anything. That could be we'd love to pray into a specific situation in your life. But also, we'd just love to pray for you that sense of, ah, I need God again. I need to know his great saving of me by the Holy Spirit. So let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Oh God, you're so gracious and you're so good. And thank you that you graciously remind us and you talk to us. And thank you that no matter how far we go from you, there's nowhere we can escape your presence. So thank you that you're here tonight. But we ask, Father, that in the name of Jesus, you would send your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're at work, but we ask humbly, God, for more of you. God, we pray that you would fill us afresh. That you would confirm to us that we are your children. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. For that is what we are. Holy Spirit, confirm that, uh, confirm that in us again. Amen.